But also, remind me, didn't Harassment Architecture have like a glut of illustrated pages? It had some, yes. But curiously, in the middle of the book. Word for word, bar for bar. I think I think uh, MMDNR has like a legal claim. He is in the states. Yeah, I, I mean, you could just commit violence. That that's a viable option. Yeah, that's much cooler. Yes. If I had to choose, and we do not condone or promote violence on this podcast, but you should definitely, hypothetically, split Mike Moscow open. Welcome back to the Unreal Podcast, the internet's first, and in my somewhat booze-eld opinion, foremost podcast on internet culture, transgressive fiction, and everything from 4chan that's actually good. We've got a blast from the past today. That's right. We're doing Behead All Satans today. And as always, I am your host, L.A. Labuschagne, sorority sister of extreme ill repute, content producer, SEO manipulator, and profound drinker of Roman Coke, which I am drinking from a glass that has the words Pus Saklas engraved in it. For those of you lucky enough not to speak Afrikaans, Pus Saklas means the glass owned by the cunt, which should tell you a lot more about my workplace. And as always, you know, Roman Coke out of, out of a glass with an expletive carved into it pairs well with a lot of things, all of which are regrettable. And chief among those regrets is my co-host. As always, dude, welcome. Howdy. Yeah, um, this is for the audience. This is a fucking re-recording of an episode we did like three weeks ago, but I had COVID and the episode kind of blew. So now we're re-recording the Behead All Satans episode. And this time I've got uh, some green tea and creatine coursing through my fucking veins, feeling nice and limber. So my experience, like Behead All Satans needs a bit of an introduction because my experience with Behead All Satans prior to reading it was browsing the board, you know, 2016, 2015, uh, and seeing the occasional picture, a photo of a lemur and some vaguely schizophrenic caption. And I always ignored it because I assumed, I mean, I didn't even know Behead All Satans was like a book. I thought it was maybe a meme, maybe like a fake book someone made as a, as a joke. And the threads never got any traction. So I kind of assumed the book, if it did exist, kind of sucked. So I was very surprised to read Behead All Satans and get like the best book to come out of Fortune, unironically. The highest quality book to come out of this board. Counting mine. I mean, back in 2015, hell, I wasn't even on Lit, which is the board this was posted on. I mean, I, I was still on B at that point, which... Uh, don't spend your teenage years on B. I mean, Paul exists, after all. Yeah, I had also sort of slept on this book, largely because I didn't know it existed, and also because it had a lemur on the front cover. And I'm not convinced about lemurs. I mean, I saw Madagascar, you know, the movie with the penguins and uh, Chris Rock, and it was an okay movie, and I saw these little guys, and, I, and immediately I just switched sides. I thought, okay, these fuckers are the protagonists, like these cat-monkey abominations, fuck off. These things are an abomination, but the book, on the other hand, that, it's not very abominable. It's, in fact, as Rhyme said, good. It's like, it's even better than mine, which is my completely objective benchmark for telling if something's good or not. I, I, always, I wonder what you were expecting of this book prior to reading it. Because uh, I expected, I guess, maybe a short schizoid rant with no form. That was, that's you sort of expect of anyone who tries to do lit fic from this board. So for the first few pages where he had like a couple pieces of poetry and some scatterbrained entries, I thought, okay, well, I'm probably going to end this early and pretend I read it. Uh... But as the book goes on, it actually turns into like a pretty quality 
confessional novel. I and think. it does. Yeah, I mean, going into this, uh, what is probably best described as the harrowing tale of one man's descent into schizophrenia, complete with, you know, the obligatory stalking, necrophilia, attempted murder, lemur furries. Yes, unfortunately they exist. And diarized rambles, I did not have high expectations either. Frankly, I thought, ah, oh, shit, is this going to be harassment architecture too? The gothic violence? Right. No. It picks up steep. And while that is everything I have just described, it's also very well executed and with enough uh, technical writing ability and knowing when to fucking shut up that actually makes this book a pleasure to read. Yeah, like, um, it never goes, runs beyond the punchline. I always appreciate it. It's pretty um, succinct when it's trying to make a point or trying to end uh, a scene. It doesn't sort of double dip or, <laughs> worse, run over its own punchline with some bit of ironic moralizing, I guess. I that appreciate that. Yeah. And on that note, one thing that I found was actually the opposite of, uh, you know, the typical irony that uh, everyone, including us, hide behind as an excuse not to actually invest in anything these days. Because, I mean, it's the current year. Investments are going to fail and the world will end. But this book does not have that. It's written with a sincerity that's extremely rare nowadays, at least in, you know, the kind of fiction we talk about. And hell, it was rare even before Trump was elected in, like, 2016. And... The only good gorilla died. But relevantly, hmm. it's written with sincerity, and I would put good money on this. And I am a gambler girl, but I'll put good money on this that it was written with a hefty dose of personal experience. Not oh, so yeah. much. Um, yeah. All right, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, this. Oh boy, I trip or so. Yeah, but this uh, is written with the authenticity that only a schizophrenic could muster. Like you, when you're having schizophrenic delusions, it's not like a little smarmy voice in your head going, government agents hiding in your walls. Isn't that a bit ridiculous? No, it's an honest, total delving into the spew that your brain is spitting out. And I love that, honestly. I love, like, there's bits and pieces here that were so raw that I have to think this is actually based on a true story. Well, the non-murder bits. I mean, hey, people kill people in real life. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for all context here, in case you haven't read the book, and now, you know, if we had less integrity, we'd say, put this down and read the book. But we know if you did that, you would not finish the rest of the podcast, so read the book afterward, is the context is that it takes place over about 10 years, the book. About a third of it is like actual diarized journal entries, which, if done well, are actually kind of enjoyable to read. I don't know if any of you have uh, heard of Spud by... Fuck, whoever wrote Spud. South African novel, mid-2000s, detailed the guy's life at boarding school. It was sort of the South African wimpy kid. And, and due to the affiliation with our unfortunate country, <laughs> went a lot harder than Dio the Wimpy Kid. I mean, at one point, the guy was, like, sexually tortured. He was, like, 14, and this was a children's novel. It did not thrill me about the prospect of going to boarding school. One bit. But my point is that it has journal entries 
And a trick with journal entries is, as we've said, one, authenticity, and two, knowing when to stop, not running over the punchline. And so, for example, my favorite one, which I am pulling up on the PDF of my, well, it's the PDF that I've saved on my phone, is Wednesday, July 30th, 2003. No matter how big or small, organizations are easy to infiltrate and vulnerable to sabotage. No group is immune. That includes co-spiring co-joint twins. Chef's kiss. Short, simple. Yeah. And and a lot of the first part of the book develops the plot through these little aphorisms. And it was interesting because, I mean, you already ski the schizophrenia. You know, normal happy people don't talk about infiltrating organizations. They don't talk about co-joint twins. And I like that as it, right. you know, foreshadows the absolute shitstorm. Literal. That is just coming. Yeah. Because he... The thing about a schizophrenic, and it's uh, also... Just the thing about people who have like memory disorders, they will say a sentence with perfect structure and they'll tell a story with perfect structure where everything is in its right place, except the content is completely nonsensical. Every single word is said in a cadence that resembles normalcy, but the words themselves are completely, they completely do not belong in the places they're put in. And you can see that in the thought process of someone whose mental state is completely deteriorating. And you can see that in his journal entries as they become increasingly detached. Because um, you, you're reading a piece of fiction, so obviously your suspension of disbelief is pretty, is, is pretty strong. However, uh, he'll present something like hacking his ex-girlfriend's social media accounts, all of them, which was very easy in 2008. And this isn't presented as something that's significant or as like a departure from a normal behavior. This is just like the normal step you take after finding out that your ex is hiding from you. And why is your ex hiding from you, might I ask? Because you sent her a torn up Muppet. Like, look, I'm not convinced about puppets either. I think they have unfortunate uh, Gnostic implications. But what is relevant here is you, you fucking buy one, for starters, which is already, you know, a deep blot on your character. You shred the little guy, and then you FedEx it to her across national borders. Yeah, I knew too. And then he hacks the account. And, and this is when he's lucid. The whole book is like, this is a fucking trip to read. Absolutely. And that, you know, that brings me to the topic of uh, the girlfriend, Ava. Well, I think is a very interesting take on the character because we don't ever really see her. We have about one piece of dialogue with her in the entire story, and that's online. I means the main character of this book doesn't really appear in the book itself. And so I was very right. impressed with MNNDR's attempt to bring this character to life. And how, also from a, a different angle, harrowingly personal the character is. Yeah, this is what I'm saying is, I don't know if you know this, but like I, I grew up with family members uh, who suffered from uh, what is in, I think, outdated parlance called manic depression. And Ava hits that like a T. It's a... Think uh, of what little dialogue there is in this book. This is uh, sadly not mentioned, but it's a very interesting depiction of the mental illness and the constant up and down attempt to channel manic energy into productivity, which never fucking works. And then the depression of you realizing it never fucking works and trying to 
were even wallowing your own guilt to dig yourself out. And to see Ava's own growth over the 10 years is also uh, very interesting because both the characters in this book, Ava and our guy, who is unnamed, so we call him the protagonist, the protagonist, they're in the, you know, media industry, full, like uh, propaganda. Canadian too, which is a uh, shit. And so to see her basically fail to achieve her dreams of becoming like a screenwriter, actress, director combination, and slide further and further into the trap that is self-help. You know, running back to her parents, getting more and more desperate and questionably mentally stable, all the while being employed in this hacking, faking your own death conspiracy. It's a very nice foil to the protagonist's own descent to madness. And it's a very different kind of madness that isn't often discussed. I mean, I see why it's fucking depressing. It's in the name, Manic Depression. But it is a pleasure to read how well and accurately it's done. It's pitiful to the point of pathetic, which, you know, it is in real life in many scenarios. The narrator is, while he's sort of uh, describing mockingly Ava's total descent into being a pathetic (laughs) mid-30s failure, uh, I mean, it was... Something that was, again, it's one of those aspects of the book that uh, makes me think there's a good deal of real lived experience here because there is something described here that seems like like you've seen it happen before. It's, I mean, even beyond her manic depression, that sort of life cycle is so common for people who are not pushed hard down a specific path, who allow themselves to become generalists and just sort of meander thing to thing while having passions or desires that um don't have clear directions that there's no clear path towards achieving that yeah it's depressing what became of her but also it's like yeah play stupid games win stupid prizes trust fund's gonna run out eventually yeah it's funny how much contempt the narrator has for (laughs) right granted ava is also a furry that that is a, a meaningful aspect of her character is that she is a lemur furry which, you know, personally I thought didn't fucking exist because the problem with non-human primates, one of many, I've ranted about this before and will do so again, is you can't anthropomorphize a monkey. You just get another monkey. It's like, okay, you take a you know, fucking vervet monkey, you make it more anthropomorphic, okay, good job, you have a chump. You don't get monkey furries. It, it's a contradictory. And, and so when Eva is like, her passwords to everything is Lima 13, and she self-identifies as the Lima girl. It's, on the one hand, out of left field, but it's also exactly what you'd expect a mid-twenties white woman to do when she has no real career prospect. And that brings me to the, the next point which I found in this that really makes me think it's lived experience. I mean, firstly, you know, the hacking, which is done quite accurately. I personally was uh, thankful enough never to make a MySpace account. I, I just listened to Evanescence in the comfort of my own bedroom and did not speak about it online. But that was done very well. And another thing that makes me think, okay, this dude has actually got his hands dirty, is the weed. Not necessarily the smoking of it, which, granted, I have done. Nearly killed myself doing a couple of times. Weed and tennis referee chairs do not mix, let me tell you. But how it is grown. Uh... I mean, I don't, listen, I am not a drug enthusiast. Oh, well, <clears throat> for the purposes of, for legal purposes, I'm not a drug enthusiast. I've never grown any weed in my life. So I don't know anything about the authenticity of his depiction of weed and hydroponics. That might be someone else's wheelhouse. Yeah. Okay. Weed is legal where I am. So, you know, I am at liberty to talk about length about this. And, and let me tell you that 
The painstaking process of growing those little bastards is well done here. And what is truly hilarious to me is, okay, one, nobody wants to read a series of journal entries about how much water he puts in the, in the weed. That's, that's not fascinating, that's a textbook. What is hilarious, however, is the ongoing mental decay he is experiencing while trying to grow weed. Because he is living with a man. Darren, I believe, a skydiving instructor and scat fetishist. And just watching the personalities play off, because Darren's a horrible failure of a human being. A running theme throughout this book is that either they are pretty much losers. And so Darren's there, you know, as middle-aged guys do, soaking in the impact of a divorce, walking around in his underwear, pursuing new career opportunities, getting into weird kinds of porn in public places. And we have the protagonist that's there trying to grow weed in his basement. The juxtaposition of this madness Brilliant. Thoroughly enjoyable. And so you have journal entries where the guy's like saying, you know, water in the weed today. Certain percentage humidity, the blight's going away. I caught Darren watching chest chilling videos in the living room again. Cracked me up. Cracked me up. And another thing, you know, with this, they really hit you on the head with a hammer. Was the process he goes through in doing this. And the ants. Because like a running sub point in this book is the guy's just shite like this. Starting with the cat he kills, mostly for shits and giggles. Just up and murders the thing. And then he goes with the ants. Uh, because Darren's house, because logical reasons, has an ant infestation, Which are like the bane of his existence when he's trying to grow the weed. And just seeing this guy bang his head, and what little brains slowly rotting away he has in it. Pretty good against the ants, which he eventually overcomes. Sells the weed, and then doesn't even smoke any of it. And what he does at the end of the house. Dude, do you remember that? What, what I'm saying with this is, you know, what happens afterwards, after he's uh, sold the weed for a profit that's mostly con-manning. It's revealed like, the true extent of his madness. Because up until this point, the dude's fucked up, but he's no more fucked up than your average 4 chains. I'm, I'm sure we've all, you know, tortured small animals in our spare time. But filling separate vats of piss and shit to smear around a man's house is something personally I have not yet done. And don't plan on doing Namely, as I don't own any vats, and I don't live in a house, that... The, the point is that just the sheer meticulousness of the revenge and the seeming coherence with he does it, that's another schizophrenia thing, and that sheer concentrated spite. To write that, you have to be a Nobel Prize winner, back when Nobel Prize meant something. And to so see that, it oh. kicks off the descent into madness, the true descent into madness. It's not like the pussy-ass stuff we've been talking about so far. Impressive. So it feels... The story feels a little confused only because the first, I guess, 10 pages feel like preamble, as in the author is trying to work himself into a narrative or a story or a sort of coherent story. Uh, because the first like 10 pages are stitched together, schizorambles, and not in a cool way, just sort of nonsensical things. And also there's the American Psycho, Patrick Bateman, random murders of um, the under, I don't want to call them the underclass, but um, grisly murders of people who wouldn't be noticed if they were killed. But that whole, both of those things sort of disappear like 30 pages in. Like they're not even really revived. Uh, He doesn't, I don't think he kills another person until part two of the book after the illustrations where he's completely detached from reality and he can't he's hallucinating people as being talking vegetables i think yeah 
Yeah, that, that, that was an interesting thing, because the book weighs its influence on his sleeve, one of which is American Psycho, which, if you're on the... You, too, are influenced by Brett Easton Ellis, and uh, Brett Easton Ellis probably gets off to that. And so, yeah, we, we see in the start of this book, the guy, you know, he buys a claw hammer, and he, and he bangs in some homeless lady's skull with it. This does not kill her. He chases her around a while, but... Eventually, you know, things are dark, you get bored, you, you, you go home. And, and then he sees her later on in the subway. And all he has to do is, like, simply cock his hand and tap the back of his head. But yeah, these themes of, of violence aren't really revisited. Violence certainly is a major theme of the book. But consummating violence in this relatively lucid way is not. And yeah, it's also not... One of the a few complaints of the book is that it's not dropped with, you know, enough precision to make it think, okay, now we're getting more serious. Now it's just the dude left the warm-up pages in the book. Yeah, basically. Um, you can tell the the entire narrative, even though it's following his descent of madness, and we'll talk to like beyond the schizophrenia, he's got a very interesting depiction of uh, a somatoform disorder. But beyond that, uh, the book is very steady. It's got clear and clear and linearly progressing parts with Darren. There's the hacking of Ava. There's his attempt to woo the Jewish lady towards the back middle of the book. Um, there's also his yeah. little drama with uh, the filmmakers that he's had a falling out with. But it all progresses pretty linearly. So getting to that part after spending 30 pages of like harebrained nonsense seems, it seems like a departure that isn't, as you said, precise. It just seems like oh, now I understand what this book is going to be, but I don't want to waste, you know, 20 pages. Precisely, yeah. And, and one thing I noticed, uh, you know, looping back to the episode of the Jewish Lady, which I think is, you know, personal experience, because, shocker, Jews exist in real life. Oh. The, the, the first part of it is done via email correspondence, which is a big mystery, because we only see our guys' emails. The, the hers are entirely blacked out. It's almost a, a bit of a jump in the book, because he's surprisingly suave when he wants to be. And then he successfully seduces a housewife via email, which is it's not impossible, but then again, you know, you have to try. I mean, panties don't just drop. There, there has to be, like, some kind of effort put in here. And he does, which is remarkable. And then another theme of the book is the dude's continual sexual disappointment. I don't know if that's real life, but then again, I'm not the expert in Jewish hips and pancakes, so I have neither. Nah, he, uh... He quietly rages against the existence of shapewear twice in the book. Tw two separate instances of him, I guess, working himself up, we uh, wheedling down the defenses of his um, romantic interests and then getting them in bed and being just sorely disappointed at what they look like outside of clothes. And I found that, that I mean, that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> uh, it's one of those observations you really don't get in other pieces of fiction. It's why it's one of the things that makes this an actual novel work. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, I, mean, uh, I mean, obviously, shapewear exists. If you're, the, if you're the kind of person who reads white girl novels, I think it is mentioned occasionally. But I've checked the channel demographics. Nobody here said maybe me reads white girl novels. So yeah, just this juxtaposition because this comes when you know things are looking out for the guy. The string of emails thinking, okay, cool, he's got his life together, he's, he's a respectable human being again. And Mary's box hips just hit him like a fucking hammer, just yep. out of nowhere. The skull is not a good lay. To be fair to Mary, you cannot hide box hips and shapewear. He should have known. That's something that pops out outside of clothing, in the clothing, 
It's very obvious. Would you say that this is like a specifically Jewish thing? Is that's the impression I got from reading yes. the text? Yes. Fox yes, hips. You can if okay. So the Jew test. Check the nose. Check the hair color. Check the hair consistency. If those are leaving you a little miffed, a little confused, check the hips. They cannot escape the box hips. It is endemic to their entire population. Box hips. Are we seriously doing fucking phrenology? Yes, dude. Listen, listen. Phrenology has a lot of good uses. You just have to know where to use it. Um, you don't want to be fooled by a crafty, auburn-haired, small-nosed individual with a last name like McDonald. All right, and then you get home, and their parents are like, "Oh God, you look like fucking Larry David," and you realize you've been trapped. You have to be vigilant. Check the hips. Check the hips. Uh, and the way I, I discern Semitism is through the hips. Is this what those history textbooks are not telling me? <laughs> yes. There's not, you know, a Holocaust based on calipers. This was a Holocaust based on waist size. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you notice all those pictures. They never depict them below the waist. It's always head up, so you see the hair and nose. And like, this is what a Jew looks like. They're tricking you, obviously. It's a little bit of misdirection. I mean, on the one hand, I'm thinking about this, and I'm like racking my, my brain for interactions with uh, non-shiksas right now. I'm like, <laughs> I'm dramatically concerned he may be onto something. I don't say, all I'm saying is look into it. I mean, I guess, well, I need an excuse to watch Wonder Woman. Here we go. <laughs> she has them, by the way. Just, just so you know. Gal Gadot. But we have gone probably too long on Box Hips. That's its own episode. Jewish phonology yeah. is its own six-hour episode. So, okay, going back to Miri. She reappears later on with her husband, who presumably also has Box Hips. And... <laughs> Uh, two things stick out to me, because this is when either the protagonist or the author himself is implied to have played Fallout. Or, you know, seen Mad Max, or something in the genre. He's, like, obsessing about, you know, the Day of Reckoning. Not, you know, Elliot Rogers-style Day of Reckoning, where he begins it, but that it will begin by Elliot Rogers-style individuals, and he is going to be a badass wasteland survivor. Oh, yeah, the revival of that. Yes, and and he... and he fantasizes extensively about Miri's uh, two daughters. Not sexually. The guy is kind of fucked up, but Kani is not one of his uh, vices. No, he is fucked up because he daughter foos them. Like, they are his ideal kids. And he goes on at length about, you know, now, young white girls, that's an untapped market. When the day of reckoning comes, that'll be worth more than a full tank of petrol. I think <laughs> on the one hand, that is entirely true. Course. On the other hand, what the fuck? I mean, I, I'm sure the 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 prostitution industry has survived literally every single societal collapse that has ever transpired. Sometimes it even births new industries. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. A society built on prostitution would probably never go broke. We should also look into that. Yes, we should. This isn't implying that the nuclear bombs called anime caused anime. Or on the other hand, you, you drop the little boy one and the fat man nuclear bomb on Japan, the centers of Catholic Christianity in the Far East, mind you, and you see this. I mean, the bombs were literally called Shota and Fat Bastard. What do you expect to happen? But relevantly to the book we are discussing. So we have Ava and then we have Miri and there's a third 
uh, love interest towards the end, just before, you know, the doodles, which I'll get to as they're, they're quite something. The dude decides he is going to go on the schizo rampage. He, he loads his cult. Why the guy just doesn't pay half price and get a hardballer, I don't know. But he, he gets his cult, you know, he gets like 700 rounds and he, he gets really stoked and he uh, drives over and he uh, takes the train. And this is like after a, a solid decade of being kind of fucked up in the last four years he's spent hiding in his parents' attic. Besides, he's, you know, finally going to go and track down the secretly influenced people that have been making his life a mess and have assassinated his wife. Slash fiance, you know, feels French-Canadian right. anyway. And then he meets this chick in a wheelchair, Jacintha. And on the one hand, I, I appreciate disability representation. Now, I'm, I'm not, you know, the, the kind of nut job to get a buzz cut and scream about how, you know, XYZ demographic is underrepresented. But, you know, I, I think, like, you don't choose to be disabled, for starters. Yeah, what are you talking about, dude? There are, like, six French Canadians in this book. Look, being Quebecois is not a disability. It's many things, but uh, I swear, for, like, you, you do not face legal discrimination from being from French Canada. That's a shame. From personal experience, maybe a jackass, yes, but, you know, if you're from Montreal, you know, you know. But uh, I'm, like, ranting about something else right now. You know, disability representation, I appreciate it, and I think it's, it's relevant because, unlike with most kinds of representation when done shittily, which they typically are, a disability representation immediately, you know, opens it up to new character angles and questions, like how does this person navigate life? And furthermore, you know, how do they navigate social attractions? It's, it's yeah, kind of weird to look down on somebody all the time if they got chaired. Or, you know, somebody's blind or what have you. And so that was interesting to see. And, and what's hilarious is the return of the shapewear occurs here. Because the culmination of this guy's first, you know, rampage is that he, he runs into his... Uh, this chick, who more or less seduces him on account of being a very good-looking 30 and actually having a career and finding his derangement charming, he later decides, you know, he's going to molest her in the middle of the street, kill her, finally, you know, commit necrophilia, and does so. Why she's not wearing underwear is not brought up, but, you know, clearly she was aiming for something else that night, too. And her ass is flat. It's, like, flatter than the earth. And the, the sight of it so much traumatizes the guy that he immediately just fucks off. I know, man. But, but back to the idea of French Canada. What do you have to say about that, apart from the fact that you know, they should be facing legal discrimination? No, I mean, I thought it was cool to have a little peek. Uh, when he was talking about being uh, a screenwriter and his friends chipping him out of some profits for a movie idea, I was, I mean, I obviously assumed it was some, the character was some failed, I guess, Hollywood writer. I wasn't expecting him to be part of some niche indie Montreal film scene. So film, yeah, okay, scene. Uh, so seeing the that the big sum of money he was mad about losing it was like the equivalent was was a hundred and eighty thousand was the uh, was the gross of that film on the budget. Yeah, well, it was, that's not much. It's cool to see. Uh, the most interesting part of this, this book, though, was um, him trying to find out why his body was slowly shutting down piece by piece because uh, yes. that was defender and it's just him actually writing diary entries because that is like the classic description of a somatoform disorder where your brain is like made of retard juice and it keeps uh, making your body sick even though you have nothing wrong with you it's just you're you're completely unable to process stress at all in a healthy way 
your body starts doing weird shit, which is what his was doing. And so he's like begging someone to find like a brain tumor, and eventually he just settles on um, he's got like a shoulder impingement, 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 whatever. And like, oh, this is this is what's wrong with me. So as soon as I get this fixed, I'm gonna be better. Uh, and he it clearly worked because by the end of the book, he is killing mushroom people like Mario. So yeah, clearly it, it worked. And that, you know, speaking of killing people, like the first and really closest he gets. After, you know, the first part in which he disputedly sets somebody on fire, which it tends to kill people, uh, and bludgeons somebody, which you know, tends to kill people long-term, especially if you don't, don't have medical aid, and mutilates a cat because, like, just looking at him funny and, look, dude, cats are on the list. After the revolution comes and we put all the monkeys against the wall, felines, a few choice felines I wouldn't mind uh, deleting, is... Charlotte. Charlotte is his fiancée, basically, and he meets her, like, mid-rampage. He's walking around, you know, looking for something to kill, and then he stresses molest. Wrapping his dick in cling film so he doesn't get, like, prion aids. Which is intelligent, but that that's also why condoms were invented. And right. so, yeah, mid-rampage, he, he runs into Charlotte, who is uh, best described as Big Teddy Goth GF but also Mommy GF at, like, the same time. It's like his his personal, you know, Resident Evil Village Lady Dimitrask. It, it, it's that for him. He's totally stoked because, you know, he thought people like Amy Lee didn't exist in real life, but apparently they do, and they've aged well. And so he goes to her house, you know, with cats and enjoyed it because it was, like, good hit romance, which is rare. And, okay, that's not to say, like, queer romance is any better or any more common. It's mostly shit, too. But, like, we have good, comfy romance. Things are going well. You know, the dude's somehow adjusting to life in French Canada. Capital, too, Montreal. And he's chilling there, and suddenly Charlotte disappears. And the dude chimps out. And only later is it revealed that, you know, she was, like, beaten up by some dude at her, you know, spin class. Camp gay, it stresses. And, and like, she's limped home, mangled, beaten, bloodied. And after, you know, she has a bath, our guy, the protagonist, decides... You know what? Now begins the rampage. So he grabs his colt. No clear explanation of how he got it into Canada. Apart from, and I quote, Canadian border security is like the TSA. Except twice as strict and five times as retarded. So he takes his colt, like, stroking himself all time, edging the entire adventure. Sneaks into the guy's house and he's crouching behind the door, you know, waiting for his fiancée to go sleep so he can burst in and cap him in the head and then fuck the hole. And then... The dude stands up too quickly and passes out from the blood rush. And when he gets back to the crib, Charlotte is gone. All evidence of Charlotte is scraped. It's like she was never there. The house is emptied of her stuff, her cats, her, you know, middle-aged woman possessions, her band stuff, all of it's just gone. And this is like a major mystery of the book. This is never, you know, followed up on. But it's, it's clear, at least by the text, to have actually happened, not to be a, you know, delusion. Zaffer. Yeah. Wandering around pointlessly, he then leaves Montreal because, you know, his fiancée has been scraped from the face of the earth and reappears, like, two months later. No explanation. Yeah, I mean, what sort of threat are you seeing? Beyond the um, horrors of tight clothing, uh, what threads are you seeing throughout his, uh, the book's relationship, throughout all of his relationships in the book? Well, what I think about a lot of it is the guy's failure to actually get to know people. 
and, and connect humanly. I, I'd say that's a big one. That That is implied by, you know, why Ava fakes her own death. Charlotte gets scraped. His relationship with Mary disintegrates and, you know, the, the one with Jacinta never gets anywhere is because the guy never actually connects with a, on a personal level because of, like, his, his mental illness. He's isolated. And while he can, you know, as evidenced by the emails and some of his interactions with Charlotte, be charismatic. Sure. He never makes a significant emotional connection throughout the book that is reciprocated. Yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, the most intimate we get with any character is not the... Well, we get a little intimate with how when he's really breaking schizophrenic. Uh, it's with Ava. And we get very intimate. And within the book, she has no knowledge of how intimate this relationship gets. And within, and outside of it, as readers, she, we don't get any acknowledgement from Ava about how deep inside her soul... How deep inside her soul uh, main care, uh, protagonist has been. Yeah. Definitely, because it's it's all one side because it's stalking. Yep, one way intimacy. Yeah, and it's like implied when she finally does find out at least the tip of the iceberg. She blue screens. She deletes everything she has and fakes her own death to get rid of the guy, which works temporarily until he, you know, does the logical thing and just calls her parents. <laughs> so I'd say that's a theme. And I'd say violence is also a theme. But what I found interesting is the absence of an interplay of uh, sex and violence in this novel. And this is one of my major theories. Right up there with, you know, chimps are demonic and people on the left-wing side of the political spectrum irrationally hate beauty. But that there is no actual genuine interplay between sex and violence. Real violence is not erotic. People trying to, you know, stab you to death, you don't get off to that. It does not make you wet. People trying to stab you to death is fucking terrifying. And trying to stab people to death, you're too busy doing that to, you know, stick your hands down your pants. And vice versa, if you're in a genuinely intimate and loving relationship, which uh, presumably no one here has been, including myself, but so I'm like, this is second-hand knowledge, granted, but you don't feel a need to, you know, whip your partner with a belt. Uh, that, that one's a personal experience. Because you actually genuinely care for them and you want to have them be happy. So that this idea of, oh, sex and violence, it's the same thing. Fuck off. It's not. And, and you see that in the book. Because the guy is horny and he's violent, yes. But they're never the same thing. He's not, like, aroused by the idea of violence so much as he's aroused by, like, the idea of desecrating things. Like, violence is a means to an end to fuck things up. That's what he gets off to. And, and I found that as another theme of the book, that this very clear divide between, you know, violence for violence's sake and sex for sex's sake. And that the two are always, like, very clearly divided, even when he's trying and failing to do both. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if uh, I buy the clean separation between the two, but I will say one thing that distinguished this clearly from um, another, from Harassment Architecture, which, by the way, completely stole this book's clout. Uh, I was shocked reading this, how obvious obviously in the same vein it was beyond the obvious diary entry and hyper-violence depiction but also the attitude of the protagonist as his warrior for um, justice this beta uprising thing it's very much the same vein but anyway one clean departure is that well so the depiction of the narrator for harassment architecture his rage is often intermingled with horniness and it isn't it may not be explicitly textual but if the subtext of it is clear, like horny, 
rage. Uh, this is not really the overarching theme here. Uh, he's horny and he's angry, but as you said, the two uh, rarely do the two meet. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a uh, you know decent assessment of it. And another theme, you know, that uh, stuck out to me in this book was dealing with failure, or in his case and Ava's case, and you know, arguably even in Charlotte's case, he's like on the one hand a successful creative person who actually does jack-of-all-trades things, but on the other hand is, you know, 50 and unmarried, so, like, <laughs> draw your own conclusions, is dealing with failure. Is like the idea of, okay, I'm trying to create something, I'm trying to influence the world, I'm trying to entertain and spread a message, and nobody's picking up. As somebody who self-pubbed, largely because she could not trad-pub, actually seeing this is, you know, it, it hits home, and it's another reason why I think, you know, uh, this book was self-published too. And you see this idea of failure in pretty much all main character you see it with darren the sky driving divorcee you, you obviously see it with ava who buys books with titles like autism for girls when she's 38 and the whole protagonist thing is this idea of well he fucks up being a a media guy he, he doesn't get his script written he's schneid out of the money he's cheated out of the money and he ends up moving back in with his parents all the while dealing with psychosomatic pain and absolute lunacy honestly Ava is like 50 bitches, which is also why I found it hard to be like, oh, this is a specific and tragic depiction. Nah, this sort of uh, career failure due to not being particularly driven in terms of your personality, uh, followed by the desperate need to cl clamber to some identity, no matter how scant or nonsensical, like autism as a 30-something-year-old adult, and uh, the mantras, the self-help books... Probably listens to audio tapes. It's 2009. The podcast hadn't been universal yet. Probably listens to, to self-affirmation audio tapes. This is just like a standard person. There are like 50 million of this individual right now in this country. This, this is one of those things that does not seem all that like born from real life. If you've watched Mr. Robot, this, Ava's character is identical to the, I forget her name, the, main, the lead blonde from that show. Yeah. It's not identical, but quite similar. It's a typical character, I'd say. Yeah, I, I'd say that. I, I'd still like to make the argument that, you know, the description of, like, depression in Ava's character is somewhat realistic. Just, like, the intense reliance on shitty coping mechanisms, especially, like, pseudo-spiritual coping mechanisms. I've seen a couple of people personally go through that. But, you know, on the other hand, yeah, fair enough. These people are not rare. You've probably dated one of them. And another, you know, theme I, I found with this is, yeah, this the idea of creativity, which brings me to the doodles. It's rare to find a novel geared to adults that is meaningfully illustrated. It, it is another thing to find one that crams all the illustrations to 50 pages right in the fucking middle of the book. Yeah. And the illustrations are somewhat good. Yeah, like, dude, like, the illustration, the hundred or so pages of illustration was, like, the moment where I was like, okay, this book is a shit. This is like an actual quality fucking novel. There's so much effort put into this. Ignoring the 30 pages of preamble that he left in, there's so much effort put into this that I am shocked and a little depressed at how it hasn't really penetrated, even uh, lit. And we're not saying slash lit anymore because someone commented that uh, it's slash lit slash. So instead of half-assing it, and because slash lit slash sounds ridiculous, it's just lit now. Yeah, I yeah, the, the the illustrations are done and they're also fairly varied and have enough character to show that, that the guy actually has a decent artistic knowledge. I wouldn't say it's naive art, as that, that is something I have studied. Because, you know, I, 
despite being a high school dropout, I actually occasionally put an F in high school. But they're, they're well done, and they're, they actually put together the sense that the guy could make the coloring book he describes in story making, an adult coloring book. Right. These little, little dudes. And the, the fact is, there's so many little dudes here, and, you know, they have personality, they have effort, you feel like, okay, they have stories. Good display of artistic principles here. Very presentable line drawing. It's an effort post that you wouldn't find, you know, in a grift. Because in a grift, you just wouldn't illustrate the damn thing. And this is part of his uh, supposed last gambit, which is writing a children's book. Uh, and I, I don't think this one... I don't think this, this one works out. Because uh, in part two, he is fully dealt... Um, fully arrested by his schizophrenic delusions. Seems to be at rock bottom. Yep. Strangely enough, the first time I read this book, I did not actually see that part. Because the copy I pirated, because, like, it's a good book. But I don't pay money even for quality unless we're talking food or things I can't steal. Yeah, I pirated it, and I, I somehow got the 200-page version without the, the last of uh, the book. So, in the original version, when Davis was telling me, you know, dude, there's this whole schizo breakdown, I was thinking, yeah, man, it came before the doodles, and it, it ended when the guy meets Jacinta. No, there's another one. And, and look... Yep. Guy on Z Library who posted this, if you're watching this, thanks. You distracted me. I hope you're, you know, happy here. Yeah, the first discussion episode was also incomplete because of that little mix-up, which I did not experience that mix-up. Uh, I did pirate it still, though. Probably have to buy the copy at this point uh, just for to settle your spirit. So the second part is actually what reminded me the most of Harassment Architecture. Because that one was less diary entries and more like, I guess, essays, essays, yeah. uh, the, that, uh, that you saw in Harassment Architecture. Yeah. And now, I can't prove this for certain, but noted non-Asian Mike Ma, I think definitely read this book, probably multiple times. Mm-hmm. And we are saying the official like, stance of Unreal Press and uh, Unreal Affiliates is, uh, this one's better. Not only because, you know, it's an actual effort post that takes itself authentically in the 21st century internet, but because, you know, it has clear pacing and it isn't, you know, afraid to actually put its heart and soul into it. Mike Myers never shot a policeman. This guy, though, this guy is definitely beaten up homeless people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially the, 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 the time this takes place in, which is early to mid-2000s, this dude was definitely like someone paying bums to fight and, and, and filming it. But also, remind me, didn't Harassment Architecture have, like, a glut of illustrated pages? It had some, yes. But curiously, in the middle of the book. Word for word, bar for bar, whole fucking flow. I think, I think uh, MMDNR has, like, a legal claim. He is in the States. You can sue people for anything. Yeah, I, I mean, you could just commit violence. That, that's a viable option. Yeah, that's much cooler, yes. If I had to choose, and we do not condone or promote violence on this podcast, but you should definitely, hypothetically, split Mike Moss skull open. I mean, I do actually condone violence, granted under certain religious justifications, but, but, but like, I, I mean, there, there are more important people to kill in the world than Mike Ma, also. All right, well, go for a twofer. You know who they are. Oh, yeah. They, um, well, you can tell who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I think we we might have gone too far in some places, dude. <laughs> a little bit. 
Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but that brings me right. Do you remember what MN MDR actually standard for? Because I, I swear it stood for something. Oh, you did? Because I never figured it out. And I want to talk about that guy whenever you're after this, after you make this point. Yeah, I swear it stood for something like uh Mega Necro Mega Destructor Rape Face. Because that's like the the oh. one all caps thing he makes that actually matches that. I think I may have heard of that even before I read this, like years yeah. ago on the board. Yeah, Master Necro Mega Destructive Rape Face. That that's what it stands for. Okay. But you were saying? Yeah, no, this this motherfucker, and by the way, just for clarity's sake, we were always gonna talk about Behead All Satans because it, it is like the OG, besides totalitarianism in the tundra, this is the OG lit book. But yeah, this dude has been on every, every single social media platform we are on saying it's time to talk about Behead All Satans. And I don't just mean Twitter, which he has been on. He's been in the Discord. And he was on our WordPress site, the, the site that I'm so diligent about that I did not see this comment until a month later. He was on the WordPress site on every single post commenting, it's time to talk about Behead All Satans under like a um, sock puppet account. It was very elaborate. The, the John Wick of shilling books nobody has heard of. <laughs> it's either the author or like, uh, I mean, to call him a fan would be beyond it. This is a seven-year-old book that very few people have read. Yeah. It has to be the author. Yeah, I mean, it's like people are fans of pro wrestling. People are fans of Skillet. <laughs> people are fans God. of My Little Pony. People are not fans of Behead All Satans. <laughs> you do not make the, the Behead Lemur your profile pick unless you have one goal in life. <laughs> so yeah, man, that, that was pretty surreal. It was like, oh shit, real life is intruded on this. Because, not going to lie here, I, I did not actually expect this podcast to be, you know, as successful as it did. Success in massive yeah. air quotes, currently. You're right, right. Yeah, if you're watching this, this in the future, though. where we're more popular than, you know, Caribbean Rhythms and Joe Rogan, then, yeah, duh. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who the fuck are you people, man? Where have you come from? Like, I expect this to get, like, I'm talking 15% views from the, like, our friend group. Like, yeah. I was picking, like, 7 to 10 views and then trying not to, pretending not to be insulted when people tell me, oh, yeah, 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 okay. I'm not going to waste time on your 7-view podcast. But, like, where are these people coming from? Yeah, it's like I've changed my, I've amended the shtick I used to make myself seem like hot shit and cheap bars is, you know, I'm L.A. Love is Shane. I'm not just <laughs> a writer, a notable student leader, and a faculty researcher, all of which are exaggerations. I am, in fact, a podcaster. I have mm -hmm. over a thousand views. Granted, this is South Africa where owning a diesel generator will get people to suck your dick, but... <laughs> like, who are you guys? And also, relevantly, if you've watched to this point, what do you want us to talk about? Because, I mean, I have plans of shit to talk about, but if we can, like, uh, you know, preach the choir here, we will do it. I study preaching. Yeah. So, I mean, now, apart from us, some influence and popularity, which I hope is not due to secretly influenced people, the SIP is a <laughs> large, large theme of this book. Not to be confused with SCP, which is from a deep, different, socially unacceptable corner of the internet, justifiably, even. They're like the, the Redditors of, you know, 
SIPs are secretly influenced people. Because the guy being schizophrenic, you know, autism is when you see everything separate. Schizophrenia is when it is all connected. Uh, the people, most of the people he despises in his life are secretly influenced. By who, we're not sure. But, you, you know, you know them when you see them. You can tell by the... And, and you can also <laughs> tell because, you, you know, the other guy is single-handedly responsible for ruining this guy's life and possibly yours. And it's like everyone from the Australian, he almost facts until, she re until the guy realizes, oh, shit, she's Australian. And, you know, Charlotte and Ava and Ava's parents and his parents and Darren, the skydiving instructor, most of those people. Pulla, as we say in Afrikaans. And it's sort of building towards this grand conspiracy. But the thing is, the hilarious thing is that nothing ever comes of it. Because despite being gang-stalked, which actually happens in real life, even if you're a psychopath and not a schizophrenic, to which he gives the very good advice of respond with violence, which actually yeah. works in real life. But the problem is you have to be prepared to commit violence is that, that it, it creates this idea of he's really trying to put the blame on you know, other people for his personal failings, or at least that's the way I saw it. Now, what did you think about that, man? Definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, he is clamoring for a reason beyond him, not just for his failing, but to, to do anything. Like, uh, at the beginning of the book, you can tell he's sort of been ripped out and still recuperating from being screwed on the film. Whatever happened there. But yeah, but I'm um, being screwed there. And he's just looking for, I guess, any, anything. Like, he's motivated by such everlasting things. And then he's always, always disappointed, even when he's not, like, uh, taking off shape. Where he's always disappointed by the outcomes of his books, of his... Um, of his actions but i will say if you're someone listening to this podcast and you're having what you think could be schizophrenic delusions or hallucinations i'm just going to say as a digital friend that you can't tell if someone's a lizard person unless you take off their skin as an internet friend who will probably do this thing you do in, in clubs where you say okay you buy the next round and then i'll buy the next round and then i fuck off before we have the next round uh, two pieces of advice. One, do whatever the opposite of what your brain is telling you. It worked for me. Uh, gr granted, my uh, struggles were more Geneva than actual delusions. But, like, whenever you think something, just do the opposite. Even if it fails, it's very entertaining. It, it sets out a new plan for the week. <laughs> and second, in order to peel somebody's skin off, you actually I have to confront them. You, you can't simply fantasize about wrapping your uh, genitalia in cling film and, and molesting them. No, no you, you actually have to molest them. Right? You don't even have to molest them to pull their skin off. It, it's like, I don't know about you, but uh, last time I, I tried to actually cut somebody again, you know, it wasn't really doing the trick for me. It was just, well, okay. I mean, he's a human under the Gucci shirt. That much I know. A dickhead. Racist, even, and not you know, not that kind of funny internet racist people are on 4chan, like actual attempting violence because somebody was from Zimbabwe. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's all I have to say about you know, delusionism, uh, behead all satans, and yeah, how to practically behead satans. What do you have to say, Ryan? That is the closing message of the book: behead all satans. And wait, no, 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 was that the opening of part two or the end of part it's, two? It's I a motif. Remember. But yeah, behead all satans in all caps.
Yeah. No, it was a tight book. Some tight shit. Um, read it. Seriously. If you're in the business of reading uh, 4chan uh, source books, source, like it's a fucking farm-raised salmon. 4chan written books. You have to read this. It's the best of the bunch that yeah, I've read. It's like Call so of the Crocodile far. is ironically good. Harassment architecture is ironically fun. Payman, Sociopath, and the Shah of Bay are, like, good. But, yeah, you have to be in the right mindset for it. This one, it's just, like, objectively, this is actual literature. Read it. Hell, pay money for it. I know, like, one of us might. Definitely pay money for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, respect to MNMDR. I know he's listening to this podcast. Uh... I'm going to buy your book. I apologize for admitting to piracy. Uh, do not call the Pope on me. I, mean, I know a guy who knows the Pope. Actually, do call the Pope on me. I want to fuck that guy up. Look, dude, if we have Francis on here, I'm not fucking him up. I, I want to I get his opinion <laughs> on so much stuff. Yeah, what's it like to commune daily with Satan? I'd love to ask him that. Hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm like unironically uh, Catholic here. Oh, you're not like one of the other six Catholics we know that's their um, set of anticus. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like actual Novus Ordo, dude. I like uh, <laughs> Pope Francis episode with Bone. If we get likes, we might do it. Yeah, I'm not oh, saying yeah, a number. I'm, I'm just setting oh, the existence. Right. Speaking of future episode ideas, so so on the YouTube channel we are approaching 100. And I want to do something special, even if it's not necessarily podcast specific, for that episode. So you can hit us up on Twitter or in the YouTube comment section or on Discord and throw your ideas at us. As long as the, uh, the requests are peppered with little racial slurs. We always love that. Yes. And like, be creative. We, we've had enough of, of people, you know, hard hiring each other. Like, come on here. Give me, give me something for an ethnicity you don't see every day. That was something that my grandpa would say. Do something that my grandpa would say. Like, he, he was actually in the apartheid regime government, so you know he knew words. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. My, my other grandfather was a, a freedom fighter, so it balances out, don't worry. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like, actually give us recommendations. I won't do a face reveal, but I might do a foot reveal. Uh, I will not. All right. So, without further ado... I mean, thanks for coming on, man. I, I, I can't do these without you, but, I mean, I don't know how to edit videos, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, so I'm Rhyme. I'm Mansa Rhyme on Twitter. I don't post there, but, I, uh, you know, the follower count swelling up, you know, swells my little ego, so. Yeah. I'm, Shout out to me. Yeah, I'm L.A. Love Shane. If we get 100 likes, I'll tell you what L.A. stands for, because it does not sound for Los Angeles. And, you know, as always, I have been myself. I have been joined by copious amounts of alcohol and or nicotine because, you know, as a nervous audio Catholic, I'm, I'm sort of forbidden from doing the other stuff. And, yeah, we'll see you next episode. Until then, remember, behead all Satans. I may have gone too far in a few places.